Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Perfect. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> That's a great way to start the podcast. Like everyone just clapping. Yeah. It's like it's yeah. gets in sync. That's yeah. team mentality right there. That's that's sports <laughs> exactly. mentality. That's yeah, exactly. That's, uh, I couldn't even think of. I was trying to think of like football jargon to say in a huddle, and I just nothing came to that's me. A, <laughs> that's a touchdown. That's all I gotta say. Yeah. It's like when they leave the Notre Dame locker room in Rudy and touch that thing that's like, play like a champion today, but instead exactly. it says film on it. It says <laughs> movies. That's me. Every time we start the podcast, I got to tap my Spanglish poster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. I, I just banged on the shared wall. I hope my neighbors are not mad. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 91. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us in the Zoom call all the way from the fair city of Brooklyn, ever you know, it's it's really the second home of Extended Clip at this point, uh, is our friend. You may know her on Twitter at Zero Suit Camus, but it's our friend Hessa. What's up? Hey guys, thanks for having me. <laughs> Very excited. Well, the the double feature that Hessa brought to the show is uh, Sallow or the 120 Days of Sodom the 1975 film by Pier Paolo Pasolini, and The Night Porter, Liliana Cavani's 1974 art house eroticism drama. <laughs> um, why, why was it these two films that you wanted to bring on to the podcast? I think both of them are very similar in that they're very controversial, um, and they're very, like, they're about, like, power and like power dynamics and i really just love both of them and i think they they pair well together as you know solo is kind of like a more allegorical thing and then like um the night porter is more personal kind of you know like exploration of power dynamics and history and shit nice uh yeah i mean these were both like really awesome movies i solo is one that i had kind of uh almost been scared to watch not because of its you know uh yeah, you were grossness. you were scared i could tell okay. <laughs> you were, you were, you were crying yeah <laughs> and he was eddie before he pressed play he trembled his finger trembled uh, before he pressed play it's true <laughs> eddie messaged me to ask but it was rated <laughs> i watched it through the peaks of my fingers covering yeah. my face <laughs> I watched it with tinted uh, fingers, like a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Malcolm rewatches Sallow, he's just—it's the Mark Cuban taking notes gif. He's just learning, he's, you know, building knowledge yeah, for I'm himself. Like, I, fuck, I need to rise to power. That's that's what this <laughs> <is>. <laughs> it's aspirational. Damn goals. <laughs> and I guess we'll start with Salo. Uh, J- JT, you had not seen this one either. What were what were your initial thoughts to this controversial classic? Well, I was really surprised by it because I feel like when going into like something like this controversial, like your expectations are pretty high. And I was just 
I wasn't expecting like the tonal shift. Like, I mean, I've seen some other things from Pasolini, so I feel like I should have copped onto it a little bit more. But like, I don't know. I was just surprised by how funny it can be at points. Oh yeah. Um, I predicted that I was gonna throw up during it, and I did. Uh, it was oh, nice. Oh, that's that good nice. to hear. It was cool. I was like very happy, and it was funny to be like vomiting while watching a movie and trying to keep watching as well. So let me get the. Did you just have like a, a basket ready or a bag or something? Yeah, like I have that? a trash can in my room, and it was. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> They That's should. amazing. I'm I'm so happy for you <laughs> that you got to have that experience. Usually, you know, the, the catharsis of cinema is like an emotional one or an ideological one even. But to have a true physical catharsis from the cinema <laughs> yeah. is really just like a testament to Pasolini's power as a filmmaker. Yeah, it's when, amazing. When, when things reopen, I kind of want to like, like uh, screen this film carnival style and be like, it's the grossest thing you'll, you know, I'll pass out barf bags, like a roadside <laughs> attraction type thing after hearing that. I think, you know. I think John, John Waters recently did um, a double feature of um, like a drive-in double feature in New York um, over the summer of Solo. And I know one of them was Solo. It was like Solo, <laughs> maybe Pink Flamingos. I can't remember. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, the the shit-eating connection being right there. I remember JT, like, gagged when we talked about yeah, Pink, Pink Flamingos. Yeah, Pink Flamingos is the only time I've come, like, close to throwing up during a movie. Like, that, like, the divine shit-eating, I was, like, gagging, actively. Well, the, and the difference is that that was real dog shit that Divine yeah. ate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is... Makes it so much worse, I think. <laughs> you can't yeah, tell it yourself that it's just a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there, there's a lot to get to before we get to the shit eating, the festival uh, of shit, that is. Um, the, Salo is a, a very dense movie. It's split into these four chapters, uh, the first one of which is, you know, the the, the circle of, or no, sorry, the, the anti-inferno. And then it goes to the circle of manias, the circle of shit, and the circle of blood. Uh, and you can kind of even just like from the progression of those titles, see how the humor maybe builds up to a certain point. And then at a certain point, maybe it's not so funny anymore. And it's kind of <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> uh, but depending on who you are, maybe it's it just keeps getting funnier the whole way. man. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, this is my like fourth time watching this. And like, you know, this is a, it is a funny movie because I think we're going to like mention a lot of funny stuff about this movie. But it also like. It's you know it's a masterpiece. It deserves to be taken seriously, but also like I can't help compare it to like just like a vacation movie. Just these four guys, rent, you know, running out of house, having the time <laughs> of their life. Just a good hangout Absolutely. vibes. I'll never forget this weekend. <laughs> it's like it's like an Eric Romare movie in hell. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you get these really, like, beautiful landscape shots of the exteriors, and I mean, just from, like, what we've seen on the podcast with, like, Tia Rima, you know, Pasolini is so great at finding beauty just wherever he turns the camera, kind of, but it's also, like, uh, what we mentioned earlier, Night and Fog, that was probably off podcast, I think, but uh, the way that film opens with, you know, any natural beauty, uh, like, landscape is... Uh, just around the corner from a concentration camp and this film like that is like the this natural beauty that we see of course is just you know 
there's there's a car driving through that natural beauty of a landscape uh and it's filled with fascists that are uh picking up young boys yeah <laughs> and uh the the young boys are in for the time of their lives it's it's like and it's really i think like this movie's really misunderstood because not only because like i mean obviously it's about fascism but i think it's also about like on like an allegorical and on a very literal like level it's about like consumption and consumer culture and stuff like the scene where they're selecting like the twinks and the girls they want to do it's like you know it's like a factory floor and they're like inspecting Mm -hmm. products or something um like literally they're like commodities to yeah the people and like you know same with i mean and then that kind of like consumption allegory kind of gets taken a step further during the cycle of shit but um <laughs> oh yeah and like the circle of shit yeah there's like the scene of them like just looking at all the asses and just like yeah. being oh, so yeah. matter of fact that is so fucking funny with the flashlight <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe my favorite scene in the movie because it starts out like kind of funny and then it like becomes extremely dark when he delivers the line like you think you thought like we would kill you now like we're gonna kill you (laughs) a thousand times all the way like for eternity until eternity ends and it's like holy shit that's like and as far as as pure objectification goes in this movie that's as raw as it gets everybody all of these young uh prisoners are literally reduced to their assholes like that's all they are is their asshole and whoever has the nicest asshole gets killed supposedly but uh you know as you just said they wish they could just get killed. Of yeah. Course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think, I think this brings up kind of like the interesting rules that they set up for this, you know, little, uh, you know, fun bash they're having. Um, cause I, I think it's, it's funny how, like, I think at the beginning, cause, uh, they're saying like, like any, any man caught having sex with a woman will like lose a limb or something like that. Just mm-hmm. very like, uh, you know, very specific. And I don't know, not to get too bit centric, but like, I, I couldn't help, think of like al pacino from scent of a woman being there and being like be like whoa 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 what the i thought I, the, no pussy like you know no pussy passport to heaven come on but yeah sorry i had to get that off yeah my chest. i can imagine that too oh, yeah. passport to heaven no no you learn about the you learn about the orgy room and then you're like no pussy <laughs> That's true. They do. They do like lay a lot of really enticing shit out for you, right? To pull the rug out, right before you know, just like yeah. the, just like that objectification scene. You know, it starts with like, well, we're gonna have a contest. Let's see who has the nicest asshole. Yeah, and then they're gonna die because of it. And then the first rape scene too, where it's oh, of course, like, yeah. um, it starts off as like this soldier, this like fascist soldier, just starts raping this um girl, and then. Um, the president gets down on all fours next to her and is like, my turn. And then um, the guy just starts having, like, sodomizing the president. And it's a close-up on his, like, face while he's going, like... (laughs) (laughs) And Pasolini definitely leans into that guy's (laughs) cross-eyed affect. Yeah. So hard for comedy. And it works every time. It's it's extremely funny. It's horrifying. It's like... Yeah. It's like very uncanny and disturbing (laughs) 
Absolutely. And so throughout all of these cycles, pretty much, uh, their their days are structured around. And, you know, Malcolm makes a good point of like the, the intricate rules that they set up for themselves. And I was reminded almost of like the rules of the game, the Renoir yeah, uh, that we talked about a while back. Yes. Especially in that intro scene where they're literally listing the rules and the four fascists are up on the balcony and everyone else is down, including the staff. The servants are also down on the ground around the corner from them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you know, the the class allegory couldn't be more obvious, uh, but that's fine by me uh, when you have as nasty uh, of shit as this movie presents as yeah. well. Preparando uno strano sciroppo, riuscirono a farmelo trangugiare dicendo che serviva solo a farmi fare la pipì e aggiunsero carinamente... Per essere sinceri, bambina cara, quello che vogliamo è soltanto che tu orini e che l'avvenimento deve avere luogo con me, da solo nella mia stanza. So these storytelling sessions kind of work as like a structuring thing. Yeah, the prostitute just describing these horrifying things and just with delight, like a childlike mm. delight almost. And I think like it's it goes toward the consumerist like thing again because um, the prostitutes are there like willingly because they they very clearly are relishing the power that their bodies give them as like a commodity in the like world that they're in and like um even though their stories they tell are disgusting they're like they've like accepted their role in like a weird way and have like wielded it to kind of like become powerful like the one um, the one prostitute who says, like, um, yeah, my mom wanted me to stop, you know, uh, having sex with guys for money, so I killed her. <laughs> and just says it, like, so matter-of-factly. <laughs> well, that leads into, like, that leads into the initial shit-eating scene, and that yeah. made me throw up, because the, the like, more comically played one, that didn't, like, make me vomit. I, it's definitely yeah. the circumstance around it that, like... Mm-hmm. It's just so grave because after uh, the the prostitute laughs about like um, killing uh, her mother, another guy just pops off with, yeah, like, yeah, it is pretty cool to kill your mom. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, that just, uh, and that they also especially torture certain prisoners for like calling out to their mothers or whatever when they're being tortured. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're saying how like the prostitutes kind of revel in their role. I was noticing this time like... The, pretty much everyone who's there, including like the soldiers and guards, are kind of subjected to a lot of the same um, sexual exploitation. Not as rigid, but you know they're getting like groped and like you know fucked as well. And it's just the difference is, is that they just kind of take a pleasure and joy within it, just knowing that they have that rank over like these you know helpless teens who have to go yeah. the extra mile. They get they have to get dressed up as dogs or uh, you know eat shit yeah stuff like that eat food off the ground f- eat food with nails in it mm-hmm. um stuff like that and i think like it's also like even the the like fascists and the soldiers and stuff they're they're still they have a lot more leeway but they're also stuck in this like cycle they're also like stuck in these roles and they can't really escape it's very like dire and very like Mm-hmm. You know, there's no leaving this system for them, like for anyone involved in it. I think like the, <laughs> the visual style, because of like, there's a very like strong and severe visual style to this movie that like 
um, is kind of like very distant and like you kind of see everything going on. You kind of see the whole room. And like, I love that because you get to see all the different players and the different kind of, you know, levels in this game. Like when a, a prostitute's telling an, an awful story, you get to see, you know, the four fascists and they're like four little throne locations, the soldiers surrounding them. And then the, the teens, it's all like, it's all there. Yeah. Yeah, the the setup before like um the actual shit eating starts when you see the title card for that third chapter beginning is incredible. Like you have one of those story sessions from that prostitute and just those wide shots where you see, you know, 20 characters in the frame at once or whatever and uh just the slow build up of tension through staging is just incredible. And then when we get to that actual shit eating and uh, when not the president, one of the other fascists is making uh, the girl like eat shit in front of everybody. And I don't know, just the angle choices and even the choice to go soft focus on her uh, with like the edge of a table in sharp focus in one shot uh, while she's, you know, munching the turd is <laughs> just like, I don't know. It, I, I read an essay that described the style as like, having the cold precision of a geometric proof or something yeah. like a mathematical <laughs> proof, like a paper. And I think yeah, that's I mean, like dead on. Absolutely. Because the differences between those very masterful compositions and the use of like deep focus and stuff like that versus the like handheld shots where he's just letting everyone go crazy and trying to capture it all in long takes uh, is incredible because he only does that when it's like absolutely necessary to, capture the fucking chaos that's going on yeah also and with, i think no oh, uh, go ahead no, i was gonna say this is kind of i guess tangential but like jt was saying you know the first uh you know poop eating scene you know made him ralph made him upset but the, the, <laughs> the second the second one has is a much more lighthearted. I don't know. Just you see, you see everyone doing it. It's not yeah. that bad. It's like there's something know. so comical about the re the reveal of the platter that is just filled with shit, like yeah. a silver a silver platter like tray that they just open up. And it's like, Great visual gag. Loaded. Also, the first close up on one of the plates, you see it has like it's not like diarrhea, but it has like juice as in, as if it was cooked. Like yeah. Seared or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it all this juice, like I think that was, that was it's, olive oil. Oh. I looked up the yeah. recipe oh. for it. It was like, <laughs> um, it was like Swiss chocolate, cookie crumbs, um, olive oil. And I can't remember. That's what you have to think JT, when you're watching the shit eating, that's just all you yeah. have to say. Swiss cheese, chocolate. Cookie crumbs. It still chocolate, doesn't sound that good crumbs. though. Yeah, <laughs> olive oil and chocolate. Ah, that's, that's kind of making that still kind of makes me upset. <laughs> it just makes me upset. Yeah, it's upsetting. It's upsetting. No, hey, no human being should have to go through that. Come on. <laughs> um, and I think the the like cold clinical style also relates to um in the uh the circle of blood where um the um there's basically um the moment where they like torture and kill all the teens um out in the yard and the like fascist one of the fascists is like watching from the window mm -hmm. playing like um what is it like carl orff or something and like 
you can't hear them and you can just see them like point of view through his binoculars like kind of this like distancing effect of like and it's very like damning and very like almost like implicating the audience like yeah you're you're these guys like because you're watching this movie like fuck you <laughs> like, uh-uh. how dare yeah. you watch this fucking movie <laughs> like, <laughs> those binocular point of view shots are incredible and it's yeah like goes through the process of that with multiple characters too just making mm-hmm. sure like you're in that point of view not even just demonstrating it for one of them i love that and yeah. all of those shots the iris is so heavy around them like isolating the frame to like a small circle of a guy getting his tongue sliced off and the special effects are so horrifying they're so uh, realistic yeah. And it's all played like in pretty long shots, but with that iris, it makes it feel like it's in a close up, even though the tongue slicing, it's like pretty distant from the camera. Just the effect of having that iris like around the binocular and like how gross it is just <laughs> makes it seem like it was an extreme close up or something in my memory. I love how the bearded fascist, you know, once he's watching after he watches, all, you know, the torture session for a while, he just flips his binoculars around gets even more distant like that's that's one of my favorite yeah. kind of visual moves within that. the movie because he's like i won't even you know fuck it i'm even safer you know up here <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Like, and it's exactly. also pasolini rejecting from like showing us the actual like wide shot of what's going on like that's as wide as we're going to get of mm-hmm. that whole torture scenario yeah is the reversed binoculars which are still distorted and weird you that, know? that's what really sells it i mean it's like a scene like that the intensity that it holds it's like you know, it's kind of a good decision maybe that we didn't hear a lot of the audio because maybe it just would get too ridiculous or over the top. I, I think the way he handles that scene kind of, I don't know, really hammers home the entire movie, you know, yeah. the mood that's been happening before. Yeah, you don't you don't need to hear the torture. I don't want to disturb my roommates, neighbors, whatever. <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just want to listen to some nice music. The, the score is wonderful. Yeah. By Ennio Morricone, right? Yeah, Morricone, and I think it uses, like, a lot of already existing music. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's, like, a Chopin song that is played at one point on the piano during one of the stories. Um, And I think the song from the opening is also... um, Yeah, it opens like it's, like, a Woody Allen film. It's that very jazzy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the reverse color scheme, but it's just like a Woody Allen opening credit sequence. It's so funny. Yeah, exactly. The way it comes back in the end, too, is, like, great. Like, uh, I mean, you know, the the ending's great, too. Kind of like, you know... um, I mean, maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves getting to the ending. I don't know. Okay, Okay, we can talk about the ending. Um, I mean, the the torture is what leads into it anyway. Yeah. That that really ominous score builds up that Morricone delivered. Like, it's so, like, dark and ominous. And then we leave that torture to just see two of the, like, soldiers or whatever... Uh, just kind of hanging out and then the soundtrack becomes diegetic music as he turns off the the radio onto the next station or whatever and we i guess go back to that song from the beginning and they start dancing together and uh it's it's a nice little ending you know sometimes uh the soldiers of a fascist regime they can have a nice little intimate (laughs) dance together yeah (laughs) i mean it's like it's like they're supposed to be like the audience they're supposed to be us you know yeah. like we're gonna finish the movie and be like well that was pretty fucked anyways you want to do other yeah. sh- other shit you know yeah. like 
And well, that's why like, we have our B movie to learn about what happens to the collaborators, the people who <laughs> yeah. just let it happen. You know? Oh, God. <laughs> well, it's also just like the fascists in the movie. It's like, you know, like the way they like talk about things, too, or whatever. Like if they weren't talking about like raping and torturing people, like they'd almost sound like, I don't know, like leftists just having like ideological like debates yeah. and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it is like a. Uh, and like with like the the dancing at the end and like the kind of wave of snitching that goes on that kind of that sequence where uh you know one of the fascists keeps catching people you know breaking the strange rules and then they'll you know tell oh i know someone else and it leads up to one of the fascist guards getting killed for having you know sex with the black maid oh no that was oh, um oh, that oh, was wait. one of the the uh teens i think really oh, okay yeah well and he yeah. he gives the um he gives like a socialist salute or like um yeah and that's the only time that they like pause for at like at all like yeah <laughs> they're about to shoot him and they literally put their guns down when he gives the socialist uh, salute for a second they're like what the fuck and then they just shoot him anyways <laughs> fucking... what is this guy doing <laughs> <laughs> like damn this guy's a weirdo all right back Got- to the show <laughs> We got our ass. What are you doing? We have guns. (laughs) JT, any, I'm going to start with you. Any, any final thoughts on this one before you uh, give it a rating on Um, a scale of one to five bullets? I think this is an absolute masterpiece. Uh, Thank you for bringing this to us. I feel like in a way it's like the ultimate movie for extended clip because in and of itself, it is the the blend of highbrow, lowbrow. Um, it just like I don't know, seeing all these like atrocities being committed, and then there's such lovely artwork in the background, um, <laughs> and just like the way that Pasolini is able to pull off like those tonal shifts, where it will be like some of like the funniest things I've seen, but then it will just like take that into brutality, and then just like you're implicated by that. Um, I don't know. We could honestly talk about this movie for hours and it's just like such a dense text. I uh, can't help but give it five bullets. Yeah, I I feel like we barely scratched the surface despite going fairly long, I think. Um, Or not that long, but still. Uh, Like, you could go on and on and on about this film it's yeah it's a masterpiece it like i can't like express how funny the first hour or so is uh without sounding like a bad person probably (laughs) (laughs) but it's very funny um and i think you know pasolini knows that it's funny and uh probably you know so did uh the marquis de sade and hey maybe so did adolf hitler <laughs> yeah <laughs> was it, is it like, uh, is, oh sorry to interrupt i mean hey he liked chaplin good taste man <laughs> uh that's all i'll say about that then de sade wrote this like in prison or something yeah <laughs> yes yeah. he, he, like, he wrote this in prison on like i think like toilet paper or something there's like a weird yeah. mythology to this he wrote it on like a really long like horizontal strip of paper or something that he hid in his cell or something like that like and i don't think he ever got to finish it yeah i think uh, wow well i'm gonna go five bullets on this one and i'm going to pass the gun to our guest hessa what do you think about this one any final thoughts and a rating i think um 
Pasolini's goal, I think he's stated, is to, to make a film that is undigestible. Um, <laughs> and I think he succeeded with Flying Colors. Um, despite how funny it is, I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> um, so yeah, five, five minutes. <laughs> nice. Malcolm, do you want to bring us home? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just like I said, aspirational stuff, you know, um, <laughs> I and like I the kind of like I like the like distant visual style because like you know it has like a lot of good like intellectual implications but also just like you get a lot of good uh just shots of like the fascist posing in a squad formation a lot of like sick <laughs> squad pics and um yeah. <laughs> and like uh and I think I think what's great about this movie and kind of like I don't know with three watches it's really hammered home is kind of Pasolini. Uh, having his shit and eating it too kind of taking a <laughs> glee in some of the grosser and nasty parts of the movie but still kind of uh making sure he rectifies it somehow and and, and like thinking about like his previous movies um especially like arabian nights which i think comes right before this like there's such a lot of like a playful and kind of almost positive depiction of sexuality and uh it's kind of interesting that uh he wanted to end. Uh, well, I guess he didn't think this was going to be then, but he wanted to contrast it with a, a negative one. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, five bullets. All right. Well, we'll be right back on extended foot. Back, I'm back. Welcome back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I still have to decide what I'm going to talk about for the the middle. Um, oh yeah, let me think. Oh, I know what I'm going to talk about. Alfonso Cuarón's "I Am Autism." <laughs> <laughs> it deserves some promo. There's some uh, some press. It made me more sympathetic to uh, autism. It really made me more sympathetic to. To parents who have to deal with um, their monster children, their monstrous, I, horrible children. I watched Alfonso Cuaron's I Am Autism, and I, you know, uh, went downstairs and I told my mom, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I understand now. I'm sorry. The, the war. And we're back. Oh, shit. No, Malcolm, what were you going to say? <laughs> the war on autism comes home. And now we're back on extended clip. <laughs> That's why I was going to hold my tongue. <laughs> it's everybody's favorite segment, Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm, have you watched anything noteworthy? Yes, yes. You know, um, I, you know, I've been talking about this Alan Rudolph guy for a minute now. I've been enjoying going through his filmography. And, uh, you know, shout out Nathan Smith and a lot of other New Yorkers who are blessed with that uh, Rudolph um, series, I don't know, like two years ago, because I feel like kind of, at least for me personally, got the ball rolling on just uh, like knowing who he is or whatever. And like I've watched about like seven of his movies so far, and there was a big win for Rudolph Altourism recently. Remember My Name got a huge upgrade in quality through TCM. I don't know. 
it aired on TCM. I don't know. I was glad to yeah. finally see this movie <laughs> because uh, it always just existed in shitty VHS quality, and it was kind of considered like one of his better movies, and it was kind of critically well recepted when it came out. And it didn't disappoint. Like it, 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 it's definitely building off like the visual style that was in Welcome to LA. But instead, we're focusing on uh, one person, Geraldine Chaplin, as she kind of uh, tries to wreck a marriage of a, 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 a man she had an affair with. The man played by uh, no other than Anthony Perkins, the the freaking psycho himself. Um, <laughs> freaking psycho. <laughs> Freaking tranny psycho. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can I say that? Can I say fact? You can say it. Okay. Yeah, I can yeah. say it. I'm allowed to say it. I'm I mean, to we can both. say it too. We just don't. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving you anything. guys the pass. I'm giving you guys the pass in perpetuity. Well, I don't need a pass. I can say whatever that. <laughs> I, to be honest, I, I, it's, it was, uh, I, I had a lot of trouble trying to think of things to say about this movie. So I enjoyed it. Check it out. Okay, cool. What about you, JT? Last week, I talked about a silent Ford film, and that was such a great time. I'm going to do it again right now. <laughs> I watched, I think it's billed as, like, somewhere I saw it as Ford's first feature, which sounds like it could be wrong, but uh, it was straight shooting from 1917, and that I, I think was a part of a series of films that Ford did with the this lead uh, main character named Cheyenne Harry, sort of a Ford cinematic universe of sorts. And this one, Harry is stuck in the middle of a conflict between um, some farmers and uh, ranch hands. And the ranchers are like uh, ready to steal the farmer's water supply and just fuck them over and, and let them die. Um, and the farmers sort of fight back. One of the uh, guys, like, sons is killed by uh, this guy who's named, like, Sweetwater. A lot of good names in early oh, forward damn. films so far. <laughs> but that, like, I don't know. I was not particularly impressed by it in, like, the first half end of it because I think it's, like, pretty standard. And, like, there are definitely shots, like, especially the wides that show more of, like, the visual flair that I think you would see uh, for develop. But the ending culminates in this very intense and brutal shootout between uh, the farmers and the ranchers. And it's just like, there's a lot of intricate like cross cutting at points and just like, I don't know. It's one of the most like bloody and sort of brutal things I've seen from a Ford film. So that really like, I don't know, made it worthwhile for that alone. And uh, that one's on YouTube, I believe. I've uh, had yeah. that one bookmarked oh, for like a year. So, Fordheads, check that out. You know, you talked about a Ford last week. You talked about one this week. I talked about Woody Allen last week. Gonna talk about him again <laughs> this week. Um, I watched Deconstructing Harry, which was just an absolute delight and one that I've held out on for a long time. But uh, it blew me away, like way beyond my expectations. It's because it's not directly autobiographical. Um, it's kind of he Woody plays this kind of uh, Philip Roth stand-in, and Woody is kind of channeling the literature of Philip Roth, and uh, it's that mix of his sensibility and Woody's. You know, the the nebbish Jew who I laugh at, and the Jew who is. Uh, 
more foul-mouthed and uh, weird about sex that I uh, don't relate to. Uh, and so the, those two sensibilities meshed together make something very strange. You know, Woody dropping the F-bomb, talking about blowjobs. What? That's not the Woody Allen I'm used to. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It has like jump cuts throughout and it has all of these diversions from his normal formula. But at his heart, he still is always making the same movie over and over. So no matter how consciously he tries to get away from his usual autobiographical self, uh, it always goes back to there. So this movie is very difficult in that relationship. And uh, yeah, it creates one of his craziest movies. Check out Deconstructing Harry. Hessa, have you watched anything interesting this week? Eddie, I have. I Oh, I'm so glad you have. Jesus. I watched just yesterday, um, or it might have been two days ago, um, I watched um, the one of the worst movies I've ever seen and one of the best movies I've ever seen, which is um, right. the wor- one of the worst ones was The Dig, which is um, on Netflix, but I watched it on Plex because um, I don't pay for Netflix because everything on there is shit, usually. Um, but they... It, it's like unexplainable it was like a nightmare it's it was terrible it was like <laughs> it was like a cialis commercial a feature-length cialis commercial um and then i watched right after i watched belly um oh, the soul hype williams film which is one of one of the best films i've ever seen like genuinely uh so incredible i watched it and then like I was, I immediately started it over and started watching it again. <laughs> I was like, damn. And also, my girlfriend recently showed me, um, we started watching um, Ridley Scott's new series on HBO, which is Raised by Wolves. Mm-hmm. And it kind of rips, it kind of goes hard. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of really like it. Um, I'm not, we're like four episodes in, but. Um, it's like really, really good. Damn. The backdoor endorsement for Ridley Scott. Yeah. Unexpected. Yeah. Pod, <laughs> Ridley hell, Scott. We'll take it. Yeah. It's his stock is starting to rise. Ridley Scott authorism. <laughs> Not personally a fan myself, but it, it is something yeah. to look into. I, I look into it. And also I wonder to... Is this gonna be is this gonna be like an ironic autourism thing? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> His movies are too I'm, long. I'm for talking that. pure numbers here. Just stocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not talking good or bad. Scott uh, coin. We're buying into Scott coin. Exactly. <laughs> crypto. Buy now. Hold the line. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a lot. I had a lot invested in T Scott coin. But 2010. Oh. Man, it <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh no. Yeah, that really fell. It fell off. hard. Yeah. It fell hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> also, Cialis. You said it looked like a Cialis commercial. I remember this very striking image from a Cialis commercial of a two two an elderly couple. In separate bathtubs on the beach, like holding oh, yes. each other's hands. Classic, so, yeah. So mm-hmm. you know, th- there's there's some there's some craft to see Al's commercials. I gotta give it to him. <laughs> that is that is an image that will never leave my mind. Like, I, yeah, if someone starts describing that image, I'm there. I that image is there. That's like what, the TV that's not plugged in in The Shining. <laughs> like, yeah, just two bathtubs. That's what elderly love looks like to me. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that that is why I aim to achieve. You know, by the time if I live to that age, maybe I'll find love and we'll sit in the bathtub together outside in separate bathtubs, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> the haze codes and all. You gotta be in separate yeah, yeah. bathtubs. <laughs> It's it's so perfect. Like Robert Brisson wrote in Notes on the Cinematograph, uh, not beautiful images, but necessary images. And I think that's one of the most necessary images of all time. Absolutely. Speaking of advertisements, we're going to do one right now for patreon.com slash extended clip, which is probably my favorite website on the whole. <laughs> Such a good website. So many good features and like just uh, different web pages to browse on. So yeah, you're going to want to. My favorite part is, yeah, when you sign up and it gives you the, the RSS that you could put in your podcast app and then you get the bonus episode every week and it's only $2 a month. It's fucking sick. Uh, my, my computer is busted, so none of the cool websites work. But when I go to patreon.com slash extended clip, everything runs smooth, baby. <laughs> and they got that Adam Curtis episode up on there. With oh, the, fuck, dude. Can't get you out of my head. That movie just dropped. How'd they do an episode on that? That, just, that literally just came out. Yeah, you want to hear about that? Yeah, maybe you go to us before you go pay for Red Scare's review. That's all I'm saying. We're, just, we're a better deal. I'm not saying, we're a better well, deal. Yeah, it's a better it's deal. Two dollars versus five dollars. It's called undercutting the market. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's called undercutting the market. We'll be right back on the extended clip. <laughs> And we're back on extended clip back to talk about the night porter uh this is the first film i've seen by liliana cavani what's what's the basic knowledge on her has a okay well first of all i'm i'm the number one liliana cavani fan in the world probably i'm a huge huge fan of her and all of her films um i she was like I know her whole life story basically, so I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. But she was born in like Capri in Italy, and um, during um, World War Two, and famously, a thing that happened to her as a child that shows up again and again, like Hitchcock, her kind of version of Hitchcock being locked in the jail cell, is um, she um, saw like a bunch of partisans got killed by like a fascist death squad in capri and um they were guarded by the fascists like um the fascists wouldn't let their families like bury the bodies they were left out for like weeks as like an example and um it just became like normal apparently so that kind of like really fucked her up i think <laughs> so and that kind of comes up in a lot of her movies like she made an antigone adaptation she made a film that takes place in capri at the tail end of the war like but yeah she deals with a lot of um her first job was like as um an archivist and like she made some tv movies for italian tv about um the nazis like using mostly footage taken by the nazis and the italian fascists themselves so she had like a very in-depth knowledge of the Nazis and their rituals and especially like the mystical aspects of 
their, you know, their, uh, systems of power and shit. Yeah, and I think this is, like, a great movie of hers to start with. Um, if you've yeah, ever I was seen gonna ask, before. is this like a good representation of like what her movies are generally like, like the aesthetic of it at least? It is and it isn't. It's like this is kind of like an outlier in her work. Her first three or four before this are a little bit different, and then they become like different afterwards. She basically made like um she has another movie called um La Pele, which is, um, the skin, and it's basically, um, shortcuts, but before shortcuts was made, like, you know, she, so she's all over the place. She made, like, um, an adaptation of a Patricia Highsmith, like, Tom Ripley novel with John Malkovich as Tom Ripley that's really good. Um, yeah. (laughs) So she's all over the place, but this is definitely the prototypal probably her most controversial and uh um well-known work yeah it's funny that you mentioned well i don't know how funny it is but (laughs) interesting Uh. that you mentioned uh that she in her documentary work and archival work uses footage that was shot by the nazis as like the second cut that we have uh, in this film like uh is set in 1957 in vienna but we have a lot of flashbacks of course uh, yeah to the nazi occupation and so like the second flashback we just see a camera being shoved into charlotte rambling's face among this huge crowd of other naked people uh by the nazis and it's i don't know right away working with that like the line of thought of uh i guess representation and like how they represented themselves like uh and how we do in fiction and you know not to go all all goddard on this very erotic movie uh, yeah but it, it definitely is like always challenging in that regard like every scene can be kind of read through that lens to be problematic but in always like a productive and interesting way oh yeah absolutely and i mean the the main character himself like was the one holding the camera and the reason that the main conflict of the film with the um you know the nazis in hiding trying to kill charlotte rampling so that she doesn't snitch on Max and he doesn't snitch on them um, it only is possible because um, they have the photos that he took um, when he was working at the concentration camp so they know what she looks like only by virtue of his you know voyeurism and his insistence on filming but it couldn't have happened any other way because that's like you know the relationship would never have happened if it weren't for his uh you know, insistence on that kind of, like, voyeurism or whatever. And aside from, like, something that happens early on, like, the first couple of events, you basically described, like, the plot of the movie. It, it Not all that much happens. The main conflict that you described is set up by, you know, Max, this uh, former Nazi trying to just fit in now, uh, <laughs> working as a night porter. Uh, makes eye contact with a woman who he had a you know sadomasochistic relationship with while he was a guard and she was a prisoner in a concentration camp during the holocaust 
and uh so then the uh tension is set up as he is standing trial i guess to you know try and fit in and also his nazi friends are really mad at him because he's like become working class like they ask him at the end if he's become a communist because like they're pissed off that he's just a night porter yeah not Mm -hmm. that like he wasn't able to go from nazi back to like successful guy you know yeah i was gonna say like they're they're kind of just mad at him for feeling any regret over what he did in general yes yes (laughs) which is it's very funny with like that i like they really uh, they're kind of wondering it the whole time and then that scene toward the end when they're on the rooftops and everything is laid bare what the, how those guys feel is yeah. fucking insane <laughs> yeah and it's not even that he has regret it's that he doesn't want them to kill his this girl yeah. like mm-hmm. he doesn't regret anything he would do it again he says that at one point like <laughs> i would do it all again exactly the same but he just regrets that they feel that they have to kill her but um and the weird trial that they talk about, it's, like, very Nietzschean and, like, weird. Like, a perverted Nietzsche thing. Um, like, Cavani has also made a Nietzsche adaptation, <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil. And it's, like, they want to do a mock trial for him that is basically the equivalent of a trial that he would get if he was discovered to be a Nazi. And then um, instead of him going to jail after, they would just kill the witness and um, he would be fine. Like if he serve, if he like, if his psyche survives, which is like insane. Like yeah. it's pretty, <laughs> the idea of that is wild. Like <laughs> pretty dark movie. Pretty, uh, not, not a lot of positives uh, to look at yeah. here <laughs> with uh, what's going on, you know, um, I, I, I do yeah. I do I do like the the pacing of this movie, especially in the first half as like we kind of cut back and forth between um the concentration camps where Rampling and Max were at and kind of you know the current day um you know tensions and like the the scenes that aren't in the concentration camp because honestly, you know, I guess you know, me being, you know, just uh you know, privy to salacious images, you know, I, I kind of find the concentration camp stuff a little more interesting and i feel like there's you know maybe some more visual experimentation in those scenes but like i i like the tension it creates uh within the real life sphere just through you know memory memorizing the shit because a lot of this a lot of this movie is just kind of just uh hanging out in a dark room thinking about the past yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly exactly yeah the way that it integrates those flashbacks to thinking about the past like it it's so kind of fleeting in the beginning too. You'll just have these very quick flashbacks and back. And so it's almost creating like a shot reverse shot language between the past and the present. And so of course that's another way to just like look at the relationship of time in this movie and just it, it moves at a slow enough pace to where it allows you to think about all of these potential threads and just luxuriate in the very like studied uh, compositions and everything. Uh, but like not too slow to where it's boring. Like it's two hours. I thought it would be more boring than it was. I, I was never bored at all, frankly. Uh, like, I'm so glad I've showed it to friends who've been bored and I'm always oh, yeah. like, I'm always like, how? (laughs) No, I mean, like, it's 
the mix of being thought provoking and just salacious is yeah. perfect for that runtime. Just like the first movie we talked about. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely struck a different tone in that respect from what I was expecting for it to be more exploitative, but I really enjoyed that pacing to it. And I feel like especially it works well in representing like a v- the very recent memory of fascism in Europe. Like, the fact that like you would still be seeing like um I, like obviously people who were involved and and then buildings and things like that and the way it sort of just slips in and out back and forth where it's like you're not I, I think early on it makes like um like uncertain like a little bit like what reality you are actually in and i feel like that is a good way of representing like that uh feeling in uh, post war europe yeah absolutely there's a lot that goes kind of unsaid that's kind of just hinted at like with this mock trial it seems like you know we only see a couple of the main figures but it seems like there's just this dense network of like nazi cover-up uh like such such an incredibly dense network of nazi cover-up and this like very minor player is having his own mock trial here uh you know regarding one witness and stuff like that like it's the the implications are pretty vast and you know in, in exterior scenes where you just see people walking around in the street and stuff like it makes you think just like where were they in World War Two? Like, yeah. where were these people ten years ago? What were, what were they? Where doing? were you There's in a... World War Two? <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene where um, one of the Nazis, where Max is like checking to see if he can leave the building after he's kind of like yeah. trapped in his apartment, and he looks down and sees um, one of the like one of the Nazis talking to one of the older neighbors and the older neighbor is like, yeah, my son was in the war. He died. I'm still waiting for his pension. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, this is like the connection of like the past and the present is just so fucking like, it's crazy. I don't know. Well, the refusal to kind of like reckon with the past is kind of like still affecting the future. They're still hunting down Jews to kill. Just to, you know, essentially cover up their name. And it's like, it's framed less as a, you know, although at the end it is realized they're still about that Nazi stuff. Like, it's framed less, more of a way. It's just like, we want to get back to work. We just want to, you know, get back to our lives type stuff. Get back to how we were living before. And, uh, I mean, great, great thing to pair it with, with the relationship of Charlotte and Max, right? You know, uh. I mean, of course, the Holocaust wasn't good times, you know, but they have like this weird uh, kind of. (laughs) Of course, it wasn't good times. (laughs) So So true. So true. It's like a terrible relationship that they have. Yeah. But they're just stuck echoing it into like forever, basically. And I think um, Lucia, Charlotte Rambling's character, is like comparable to the. I don't, I don't know if I can say this, but comparable to the prostitutes in Solo in that, if only in that she has accepted her role and the way that it gives her power in a strange way, in a strange, like, very perverted way. Well, um, yeah, I, I think it, like, makes a point to show that because it is, like, uh, that scene where Max is treating, like, the wound on her arm and, like, it's framed with where you could see, like, a bunch of 
um, older people or just random other people in the background who are definitely not receiving the same sort of uh, attention that uh, she's yeah. receiving. And so, yeah, and, and she definitely accepts it to the point where she uh, wears a Nazi, you know, hat and does a little Marlene Dietrich. Oh, that's, oh, that's, damn. that's just a memory. So that's bad. not a real thing that happened. <laughs> that's oh, really? Like, yeah, that was just him telling a story, I think. <laughs> I like to think it happened. What a great scene, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's yeah. like an amazing, that's one of my favorite scenes when they do the Salome thing. Uh, so good. Incredible. They show her the head and she's like excited at first and then like <laughs> she's like horrified actually. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, you know, I she told me this guy was annoying her, so I was like you're just like Salome, and he's like, he must be John the Baptist, so I'm gonna cut off his head and give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Back to what you were saying about the pacing of the film, Malcolm, like, it takes I think like 55 minutes or something like that for the two leads to interact, like, in the uh, 1957 setting you know like just teasing out the relationship through the flashbacks is so effective and then it allows because like the plot up to that point is pretty obscured too like you just know that there are these other nazi guys helping him cover up kind of and there's some sort of tension mount tension mounting but i think that yeah all of the potential like ways of reading into this what this film is saying uh historically and just like the aesthetic like density of the film like there's so many different aesthetic approaches kind of like all the stuff in the concentration camp is shot through a very strange haze that's like blue green kind of oh my god Uh, yes it's like but the camera moves so much more smoothly through there than like the very like steady like wide shots in the current day in vienna and like of her walking through the streets in there and stuff uh exactly. it's 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 crazy there's there's a lot going on here <laughs> it's it's very bodies and spaces and that it's very focused on like interiors and the interior as like uh a like kind of an allegory for like the inside of like the minds of these characters like their interior lives that are like they're trying to keep private but um like they they're they can't because history and like the past and the present just keeps like seeping in and like reminding them how fucked up they are and shit like and how this isn't tenable they can't just keep repeating this over and over forever like they're just like self-destructing like and i think like also like the the setting of the hotel is i think it's like a brilliant very subtle nod by cavani to um to italian fascist cinema which one of the great not great because like italian fascist cinema kind of wasn't very good ever but even as far as fascist cinema goes but one of the tropes of italian fascist movies was the idea of a grand hotel where like an everyday working man would go to this hotel and kind of masquerade as a bourgeoisie like guy 
and get in with these like fat cats and these like foreigners and all these, you know, um, aristocrats. And uh, by the end of the movie, he would be penniless again, but he would be, um, he would get the girl anyways and um, nobly return to like working on like the farm in his village. And I think like the setting of the hotel is like, it's like a weird perversion of that where instead of being filled with like aristocrats is filled with all these like fucked like this Nazi, this gay Nazi twink that kind of represents the the homoerotic <laughs> mysticism of the Nazi mm. regime, like in their like fixation on the male body and shit. And this like old Nazi woman who like needs to get fucked every once in a while, like you know, it's like that hotel however many years on from yeah. the thirties. Like mm-hmm. Yeah, the functions of that hotel are so strange. Like that old lady who you're talking about. Like I, I was so confused about his job as the night porter of this hotel. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> what is he like just low key also just fucking people or like uh you know uh, <laughs> but it's it's a really insane setting yeah what what you're saying about italian you know fascist cinema about like a man who would go into a nice hotel and like you know rub elbows with the fat cats that that sounds like they were just about grind and culture like kind of about like you got to network with the big cats you know what i mean you know hustle hustle like you you could even if you lose it all you know you could get it right back just because of your workability Oh, no, not even. It was, like, the fat cats, because it portrays the fat cats as being, like, bad. Like, they're, like, you don't want to be friends with them. Even though you think you do, you don't, because um, that you need to stay and work on the farm. Like, you need to, because um, that's That's how you get the girl. Like, (laughs) A different type of grind culture. Yeah, that's real. That's a real hustle. (laughs) Don't distract yourself with money and fame. Yeah, exactly. Just stay hustling on the farm. (laughs) Yeah, stay. Return to tradition. (laughs) I'm on that trad hustle. No more. Ironically, like, (laughs) ironically, I think Pasolini would agree. Like, we just got to go back to the farm, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Their sexual relationship kind of goes from zero to a hundred very quickly. Like, just resumes right away. Uh, with some, you know, role reversals, I guess. They have this relationship now where they're just locked in this room, uh, knowing that, you know, one will die or one will get turned in or whatever. Uh, So they escape in the middle of the night in the car, and he dons the Nazi uniform once again to get in the car. Also, to just saying car reminded me of something here. So there's one thread I wanted to trace through is that he says partway through that he just wants to remain in the shadows. That's like his huge goal in life yeah. is to remain in the shadows. He wants to be like a church mouse, live quietly exactly. like a church mouse. Yeah. As always, we must find out if all this is already known to our enemies, or if I have managed to get into the archives before them. And Max can remain in the shadow, which is what he wants. And so when they're sneaking out to the car, you know, you see a very dimly lit shot of him in the Nazi uniform, but you just like... You just can't see him at all. And then another shot uh, 
on cars you just see two of the fascist guys like their reflections with the uh, mercedes benz emblem uh it's just yeah. such a beautiful way to start a scene uh mm-hmm. but yeah that that shot is played very like dark when they drive off and then uh i guess in the early morning or on that bridge when they're shot down and that beautiful shot uh that pans from the bridge over some water and looking at the city and uh it's you know what what a great way to die! Uh, beautiful. <laughs> way <to> yeah, <laughs> honestly, there's um a great book about Cavani's work called "The Gaze in the Labyrinth." I think she describes them dying as they fall like marionettes who have just had their strings cut, <laughs> and I think that's like such a beautiful way to describe it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 like it's the ending that you know is gonna happen. Like, there's no other way that this could end. Like, possibly they're gonna just like repeat this cycle infinitely that they're they've been doomed to repeat. Yeah, and I think like I mean it's about fascism in a lot of ways, but it's also about like how scary the like human psyche can be when suddenly all societal barriers are removed and anything is permitted for certain people and how quickly the mind can rewire itself to like i don't know like conform to that and how it just ruins your life like afterwards it's very like i said it's like a bodies and spaces type movie in a lot of ways absolutely yeah jt uh any any overarching and final thoughts on this one yeah i have some <laughs> oh, of do those. you have a grand thesis <laughs> uh, give us a maybe fresh not, take no maybe kidding. not a grand thesis but like i think that what like i mean again i think talking through this movie uh has really make me like it more like i liked it going through but just like i uh because i, I think i was expecting something more of like a plotty type of exploitation movie at first I was taken aback by how it like really just hangs out there in the beginning and luxuriates but like I really love that with especially how it flips it in the latter half and becomes so cramped and paranoid and I feel like that's the ultimate like conclusion of like the past it's like they can't like escape from what they've done uh, under fascism and though they may try to lead other lives like they would ultimately wind up like in a cramped like paranoid state where all they can think about is the past and that like flows so well with that huge expressive world we get in the beginning where you like you go to like the fucking opera and that scene is like beautiful um, but then it just gets so tight and then there's that little release there at the end in their escape where it's like they're open and free as they're running away, but just like get fucking killed because there's no, yeah. like there is no <laughs> escape from what you did under fascism. You have to, yeah. you confront <laughs> it or die. Hey, you know what? I think that is a grand thesis. Okay. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, four bullets. I, I'm going to go four bullets on this one too. I, you know, I, I think like, 
the exploitation movie tag almost doesn't fit with this. Like it, I, nah. I saw this listed under Nazi exploitation, uh, and that it's like a sex movie that was like you know uh, complicated for that reason. But it doesn't really fit into sex exploitation or Nazi exploitation for me. It's definitely more in an art house mode. It's just it has that very challenging material to where you know of course the the stuffy the bourgeois critical class saw it and said, "Ooh, this is not an art house movie." <laughs> I, I pinched my nose at the uh, felt- because you know, or or it was people who were so lame that they're like, are we supposed to sympathize with a Nazi? Are you kidding? yeah, <laughs> uh, and don't understand that movies have you know meaning beyond wanting the good guy to get the girl and win. Yeah, yeah. Why do Nazis get all the good girls, man? What's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Start to put on an SS uniform to get some uh, girls around here. Come on, <laughs> we have limits. Uh, Malcolm, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go three and a half bullets. I definitely really enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I did zone out a little bit when things got a little bit slower, but I was never fully checked out of it. And, like, everything is just done so solidly. Like, I feel like a lot of the cinematography here is, like, maybe kind of, like, literal in a way, but in a way I I, I can enjoy because the craft is so well done, kind of, like, uh, a lot of, like, shallow-focused and, like, zoom zooms paired with character reactions and that's the kind of stuff that just kind of keeps me interested um plus you know with the hot sex scenes so uh yeah good stuff yeah one of the greatest dry humping scenes in cinema history (laughs) for sure Yeah, I was not sure if that was supposed to because the angle that it was at you know you see a little like pant action and you're like am I supposed to buy this as them actually having sex (laughs) (laughs) I always read it as their two like starved to actually fuck so they're just dry humping a little bit like they want to but they can't because like time and like their clothes are like yeah that that nazi uniform has so (laughs) many buttons yeah exactly (laughs) uh hessa any any final thoughts and a rating for this one I'm, I mean, you you know I gotta give it five bullets. This is, like, one of my top ten of all time. I I really, I really love this movie. There's just so much going on. And I'm sorry if I talked too much during this. No, not at all. Um, but, yeah, I'm a big, big fan. If you guys ever have me on again, I'll show you another Cavani. Makes sense to me, honestly. It'll simplify everything. Have you become a communist? Oh, God. The usual accusation, even for the newly born. I know you're not a communist. You're not a defeatist. You're one of us. Which means I'm rotten and I stay rotten. No emails this week. Uh, come on, guys. Uh, extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. I'll, I'll call an audible. I'll do JT's favorite segment. You know what it is. It has to do with the emails. Uh, I'm going to shout out some new patrons. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> JT, JT does not want this I get, this I get for the so record. much fucking flack for this for one time suggesting <laughs> that maybe <laughs> I think it's a hack bit I don't, well that's the thing that's the thing it's not a bit I'm just thanking people I just don't think we should read they don't like what are we begging the, now the fans, of, the fans of the show live in obscurity to me right, I'm just gonna do they are <laughs> I'm here in my ivory tower. The last week, as if this was a weekly thing, you know? So just trial, all right? So thank yeah. you so much to uh, Aaron Maxey. Thank you oh, to shit. Daniel Shout v. out Aaron Maxey. If, you, if you're listening, thank you shout to out Nick Aaron. Adams. Thanks to Mooing Moose. Thanks to Skandor Akbar. 
uh, thanks to what is this? I love blowing hot, sticky cum ropes inside Granny's old pussy. <laughs> Eddie, that's Just gross. became a two dollar <laughs> patron. Eddie, what are you talking that's about? That's me. That's me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a person. I thought Eddie was just talking. I thought he just said a sentence or something like that. <laughs> Maybe it's worth doing this after all. <laughs> and also Jarrett. Thank you to Jarrett. Um, and so, yeah, $2 a month for, uh, for uh, 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 weekly bonus episodes. <laughs> we got nothing to hide behind the Patreon, so uh, it's okay to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> What is that even supposed to be? No, entice them in. We have exactly. plenty of things to hide, and we paywalled all of it. Nah, there's nothing. There's no weird, strange shit on there, man. Don't don't even talk like that. <laughs> nothing. There is weird shit if you sign up at the six dollar tier and you get the monthly PDF, uh, the extended clip PDF club is everybody's favorite film magazine of the 21st century. There is erotic art by R O N J T White. Uh, criticism by all three of us. It's it's such a good time. So hey, uh, one of those is about to drop soon for for what to say for January. What month is it? For February. Yeah. So that'll be good. Definitely have thought about what this month's PDF is going to be. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we'll see you next week, Malcolm. No double feature yet for next week. Nah, man. We're we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. We'll see you next week. <laughs>